Merry Christmas. Uh, Today's Old Testament reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. You can find that on page 687 of your Pew Bibles if you would like to read along. Hear these words from the book that we love. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um. I'm starting, so you can't make some space. <laughs> the New Testament reading today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, and Hazel and I are going to read it together. Um, I'll start. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their um, flocks. At night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for 
all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. on. Sorry, technical difficulties, just uh... on the incarnation. <laughs> oh, it's on now. There we go. All right. I just, I don't know why this is, I'm thinking this, but I'm just overwhelmed by the incarnation. Um, I felt that through this service this morning, and I frequently feel that. Uh, it's kind of tough to preach on Christmas for like many reasons. One is that you have to do it every year, and you have to say like the same thing in a new way, or people think you're just not doing your job. Uh, <laughs> the other one is that the incarnation is like, what? And how do you put that into 20 minutes? Uh, it's tough um and yet here we are uh and the mystery i think continues in our text we're talking about the isaiah text this morning um for unto us a child is born for to us a son is given and the mystery is there in some sense a way that we have mentioned over the last several weeks we've been talking about isaiah through advent and this kind of um question has come up every week that these texts that we have looked at including this one seem so clearly to be about jesus um but the context of this passage and others uh lead scholars to think that isaiah was probably talking about king hezekiah um who ruled over judah in his time if you missed Tony's sermon last week, you can listen to that. He told the whole story of um, the bad king Ahaz and his son Hezekiah, who brought the hope of something new. Um, or you can read about it in 2 Kings 18 through 20. Uh, because of Ahaz's choices, Judah had fallen into the hands of Assyria, and they were humiliated and dominated by a foreign power. And so Isaiah spoke these words that we read this morning into their suffering then. 
Hezekiah, a son, a new king, was the promise of change. And yet, for thousands of years, Christians have read these words at Christmas. Unto us, a son is born. And you really cannot help but hear Jesus in them. And that is also right. As much as Hezekiah might be present in these words, Jesus is here too. Um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Madeline Langle, uh, if you haven't read A Wrinkle in Time, you should do that immediately after the service. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Madeline Langle, she has a book about faith and art, and in it she says, like, you know you have created art when what you have made means more than you intended it to mean. And I think that's what's happening in these texts. I think Isaiah thought he was talking about Hezekiah, and Hezekiah did fulfill his words a bit. But Isaiah's words meant more than he knew. And Jesus fulfilled them in a way that Hezekiah never could. It's like this text or these texts give us both layers of meaning and layers of liberation. And all of it from the hands of God. Jesus told us that he didn't come to replace or undo the words of the Old Testament, but that he came to fulfill them. You know, the relief that Hezekiah brought after Ahaz was just a taste, a glimmer of what Jesus would bring. Isaiah's words, though they may have been more than he intended, ended up speaking much more clearly of Jesus. I mean, Matthew thought so. In Matthew chapter 4, um, Matthew uses the beginning of Isaiah 9 to point us to Jesus. It is as Jesus walks through the very same lands that were devastated by Assyria in the time of Isaiah that Matthew says that Jesus, Matthew says that Jesus went there in order to fulfill this passage. And he quotes from Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And it's right then that Jesus begins to preach, the kingdom of God has come near. Because it is only the kingdom of God that can truly fulfill words like Isaiah 9. I wonder if as Isaiah spoke these words, if he knew he was on holy ground. I wonder if he knew that he spoke not only of a good king, but also more so of the king of kings. I wonder if he knew just how true his words were. Long before Hezekiah, Israel had longed for a king, even as God warned them that a human ruler would never satisfy them, but actually would only bring more oppression and violence. And that warning turned out to be true. But nothing has really changed about what we want, right? We still want to be satisfied by our rulers our candidates, our presidents, our politicians. We are still disappointed when they fail to live up our hopes as if maybe they could have. They, they will never ever bring us everything that we are hoping for. And the same was true then. I mean, look at the names given to the king in, the, in Isaiah 9. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
And that, those titles were actually like a normal way to talk about a king in Isaiah's time. This like over-the-top language was how you did it. But what is over the top for a king is right on point for Jesus. Jesus, our wonderful counselor, spoke wisdom that seemed counterintuitive, but turned out to be the path to life. Love your enemies, he said. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. And then he walked out his own teaching on the road to the cross. Losing his life and showing us that his upside down logic, the logic of the kingdom of God was actually the logic of the universe. The logic of love and resurrection where death is the road to new life. In Jesus, our mighty God, that's the second title, our mighty God came to us as a human, descended from heaven to walk with us, to know us, to show us up close what God is like, what the love of God is like. Like that's, I mean, what we celebrate on Christmas. Um, It is the greatest miracle that has ever happened. And it happened in the middle of nowhere with no one to see but some cows and sheep visited only by some shepherds and a few stargazers. It is the mystery of divine love. That it's so quiet and yet God comes. And it's so counter to what we would think a mighty God would do. Kristen uh, Dumas posted an old Dutch church hymn on her, in her blog today. <laughs> Some of you probably saw it. Um, the hymn includes these words about the Christ child. Listen to the, um, the paradox, the play. See the mighty, weak and tender. See the word who now is mute. See the sovereign without splendor. See the fullness, destitute. Here is love. Here is your God in the flesh. There has never been, nor will there ever be, another king that can live up to this title. Mighty God. But Jesus can. Everlasting Father, um, That term father was used to talk about the way that a king would care for and provide for his subjects. Um, Hezekiah was a good king and he cared for Judah. But 2 Kings 20 tells us of a time when Hezekiah got so sick that Isaiah told him he needed to get his life in order because he was going to die. And he turned his face to the wall and he prayed that God would give him more time and God gave him 15 years. Everlasting is not the word that you use for one who pleads for more time. Jesus, on the other hand, walked straight into his own death and came out the other side resurrected. He conquered death. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And our last title, Prince of Peace, um, that word in peace, is, it's Prince of Shalom. Uh, which if you're around here much, you know how much I love the word shalom. Um, While there have been human kings who ended wars for a little while, there has never been a king 
who has brought the kind of wholeness and restoration promised in Shalom. A peace that reaches every group, that cuts to the heart of every individual, that heals even the land, that ends every kind of oppression, that makes it so that the tools of war, like the boots and blood-soaked clothing in verse 5, have no more use than fuel for the fire, to warm bodies and to cook feasts. It's a world that we cannot even imagine. It's a world without nuclear weapons or a standing army or a military budget, without war or even the threat of it. The whole idea just gone. And of course, we have yet to see Shalom fully realized. But you can see how it could only be brought about by a king who, though he commands an army of angels, would choose to walk to his own death rather than use them. A king so committed to love that he would take our sin and death on himself even while we were his enemies. One who would die so that we might live. I've never seen another leader like that. Jesus is the only Prince of Peace. Now, I wonder if Isaiah knew all that when he spoke these words. Did he know that one would come who would fulfill his words better than Hezekiah or any king ever could? Did he know, I mean, did any of the prophets know? Were they aware that their words so often carried much more meaning than they knew? Do you think that Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Miriam knew that each of their stories were divine foreshadowing? Do you think they knew that their stories would find their ultimate fulfillment in this poor, helpless baby held in the arms of a teenage mother in the stable in the middle of nowhere? How could they know? How could anyone who passed by that stable that night have known what wonder was happening there? How could anyone have guessed what love wrought in the manger that night? To bring the mighty God to us in a defenseless babe with tiny fingers and tiny newborn cries. That God Almighty might walk with us Know us, love us, save us. In this little one who hadn't yet learned to hold up his head. And knowing all of this, how can any of you know what you are in the hands of the mighty God? Some of you struggle to know your worth, to find your value from day to day, to see that what you do has meaning, or to have hope in this dark world. But you cannot know what God will make of you, or what God already has. You cannot know what impact your words and your actions have with this upside-down king in charge who says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, so small you might not even notice it, but bursting with life. 
this little babe that we celebrate today is the fulfillment of all things. Not just Isaiah 9, not just the law and the prophets, but also you and me. The whole universe and all of history. Christ is gathering all things to himself, making everything new. And he has promised that when you come to him, he will make you his own. You will share in everything he has and is, and he will fill you up. I wonder what that will mean. Please pray with me. God of all, what does it mean that you came to us like this? It is a love that we can hardly begin to fathom. Lord, I pray that you would um, impress your love upon us. Lord, may we recognize you um, in the manger and may we recognize your work, your fulfillment um, here among us in each of our lives. Lord, may we see the way that you um, are the fulfillment of all things. In Jesus' name, amen.